Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu. And what we're doing this time round, well, we're talking about heists, but I figure I would frame it all round the absolute classic, the directorial debut of one Quentin Tarantino of Reservoir Dogs. Because, with regret, I have to tell you that Reservoir Dogs came out in 1992, which means at the time of recording, it's 30 years old. So, where's this going to take us? Gonna, we're going to talk about Britain, we're going to talk about America, and we're going to talk about thievery. I've done one a while ago on cops, I've done one on bounty hunters. I guess the legal world is in there in some of the conversations that I do on this podcast. But this time around, we're going to talk a little bit about how Hollywood shows it one way, the realities can be another way, and also the fact that bank robberies heists, if you like, are a real thing in history, but interestingly, also in cinema history as well. So if this sounds like fun, then come with me, because this is a lot of fun. Trust me on that. So, Reservoir Dogs. You're not Mr. Purple. Some guy has some other job is Mr. Purple. You're Mr. Pink. As I said, the directorial debut of Quentin Tarantino, which means he's been making films for 30 years. And whereas, yes, technically he's made nine films, he's made bits of other things as well. He's done episodes of CSI. He's written bits of other screenplays, things like his entire screenplay for True Romance, an excellent movie. He didn't get to direct it. However, the money from selling that screenplay allowed him to fund his, his early career and get attention, so I guess it was worth it. Natural Born Killers, a very edgy movie in the 1990s, actually after Reservoir Dogs, but one of these films that sort of like took years to come out on home release because it was considered sort of so dangerous and so violent, even though it kind of isn't. It's sort of more a condemnation of how media sensationalizes violence which they then promptly did. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. Yeah, so he's written stuff, he's guest-directed bits, he guest-directed a bit of an entire movie called Sin City, and then there's Four Rooms as well. It goes on, okay? So the point is, he's out there, and if you're only coming to Quentin Tarantino in, let's say, the last 10 years, he's part of the furniture, and you may 
love his dialogue. I think he is one of the best writers of dialogue out there. He can make things interesting just in a conversation. It was the only one I wasn't 100% on. I should have my head examined going ahead when I wasn't 100%. That's your proof? You don't need proof when you have instinct. No need for gunfire or anything like that. And that was obvious in his very first movie, Reservoir Dogs. However, it's stylized and he keeps riffing on sort of pop culture. And it's, it's very much a movie lovers type of movie. And so some people he rubs up the wrong way. He's been controversial in other areas. But the thing is, you have to remember what it was like pre-Quentin Tarantino. Because, yes, there was always an indie movie scene. But while it was cool, it was also very inaccessible. It was cool in the sense of, I know this little tiny movie and nobody else does. But it wasn't the sort of thing that the cool kids would watch on video, DVD, whatever you've got. It wasn't something that people would try and dress up like. But with Reservoir Dogs, that changed everything. It changed fashion. It launched various careers. Steve Buscemi, who I talked about in Boardwalk Empire, yes, he'd worked before, but his first breakout role was as Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs. Tim Roth, who was so hot, British actor, so hot in the 1990s, kind of faded away. He is the abomination in The Incredible Hulk, so he managed to get into the MCU, never seen again. So he's a great actor, he's been in great movies, and he was a critical role in Reservoir Dogs and the follow-up Pulp Fiction. Harvey Keltel had been around for years, obviously worked with Martin Scorsese back in the 70s, but he'd kind of had a bad 1980s, and seeing him in Reservoir Dogs reinvigorated the interest, a reminder of how great he is, and went on in the 1990s to have, if you like, the peak of his career, 20 years after he first started acting. So Reservoir Dogs can't be underestimated in terms of its importance. The other thing is, it's a directorial debut. I have a friend who used to work for Sam Mendes, and therefore she felt very loyal to Sam Mendes, and she said, oh yes, well, his movie, American Beauty, that's the greatest directorial debut of all time. And I just went, Citizen Kane? And she went, okay, okay, of the last 10, 15 years. I went, Reservoir Dogs? And she sort of glared at me. But look, I get it. American Beauty is a very good film. I am a big fan of Sam Mendes, but it wasn't really a directorial debut. In the case of Quentin Tarantino, he had to scrape this money together. Like I said, he had to sell other screenplays just to get enough money to get this going, do some favors. And most of it is in this warehouse. It's almost a play. Whereas Sam Mendes had already won multiple awards as an incredibly creative stage director. This was a heavily funded movie. It starred Kevin Spacey, who I know obviously isn't so cool nowadays, but this is a man who'd already won an Oscar and would go on to win an Oscar for American Beauty. And as I understand it, they started filming it and they didn't like it. And it had so much backing from the studio, they could can the original, let's say, first 20 minutes of photography and start again, which nobody in a directorial debut gets to do. So... I'm going to say American Beauty is a very impressive film. I kind of got talked about it to death, so I perhaps like it a little less than I maybe should do. But it is a very impressive movie, and there's no doubt that Sam Mendes has gone on to be an incredible film director doing all kinds of interesting projects, from James Bond... 007. I'm your new quartermaster. You must be joking. ...to all kinds of things. So, yes, he's a great guy, but... 
that's barely a directorial debut. It's almost cheating. Whereas Reservoir Dogs, there's no doubt about it. You know, this was something that was a, on a micro budget. And yet people were talking about it in 1992 in the same breath as the big blockbusters of 1992. And I, I just find that really interesting. How did I first find out about it? Well, there was an article in Time magazine. I used to read Time magazine, very, very hot magazine, which now people know about Time Person of the Year. And that's kind of the only thing that's been remembered about it because magazines have sort of faded into the background. There's no doubt that online has won. The thing about Time magazine, though, is it talked about politics, talked about economics, but in the back it had arts. Now, that might be about paintings. It might be about a brand new installation at, I don't know, the Guggenheim. I've sunk $5,000 turning you into a New York bohemian. All you have to do is paint. Now get busy. But it would also talk about hot movies as well. And in 1992, there were a number of what was considered very violent movies. I think it was Man Bites Dog came out roughly the same time. And maybe Base Moi, the French film. Please don't look into those too much. The Man Bites Dog is a Belgian film about a serial killer. Not good. Well, I mean, it's good, but it's, it's, it's full on. And Base Moi is also a very, very full on French film. These are all good films, but all very, very adult. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? And I think they all came out at the same time. I know Man Bites Dog was being talked about in the same article. But the thing is, there was this one photo from this upcoming very violent movie, Reservoir Dogs, which showed one guy in a black suit and white shirt lying on his back on the floor pointing a gun up and standing over him was another man in an identical black suit with a white shirt both of them had black ties on as well pointing his gun down at the man on the floor now who was taller it was the guy standing up but both of them had their guns drawn and both of them were clearly aiming at each other and i just saw that one image and come on this is what tarantino wanted you to do i saw that one image and i thought i want to know who wins that showdown and if you want to find out who that is you've got to pay the money to go and see the movie You'd never seen anything like it. Yes, there have been lots of movies with cool soundtracks, but those soundtracks were either songs that were in the charts right now to promote the movie, or they were absolute stone-cold classics everybody knew. But the thing about Reservoir Dogs is all the songs we'd never really heard before, but they were really, really cool. And it looked like they had almost been made for the film. They clearly hadn't. They'd been recorded 20 years earlier or whatever. And it was just... Exciting. You felt like you discovered Reservoir Dogs rather than you bought a ticket to it. The other thing is that every time, I saw it three times in the cinema, every time during the Mr. Blonde and the policeman scene, that's all I'm going to say. Every single time somebody got up and walked out of the cinema. And indeed, I saw the same thing happen in Pulp Fiction. And I saw the same thing happen in the first Kill Bill. When fortune smiles on something as violent and ugly as revenge, it seems proof like no other that not only does God exist, you're doing his will. And I, I can't remember the later ones, but certainly as earlier films, not so much Jackie Brown, that wasn't quite as, as violent as these other films, but they're so full on, they're so tense that actually you don't see a lot of gore. And as Tarantino says, there was all this criticism around the, the violence of Reservoir Dogs, he said, look, you get a movie like Commando, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, just mowing down people and it, it barely registers on you because each death has no meaning. Or Star Wars, you know, people are forever shooting stormtroopers blowing up bases and so on and so forth. It's all very cartoonish. 
Whereas if you have a man who has been shot in the gut and throughout the entire movie is slowly bleeding out, lying there, pleading for his life, asking to be taken to the hospital, that is really uncomfortable. But at the same time, you see the devastation of a single gunshot wound. And I buy that. He's not trying to be sensational. If anything, if he is being sensational, it's with the dialogue, not with the actual violence that's going on there. But here is the true genius. For 50 years and longer in cinema, there had been heist movies. And as soon as I say the heist film, you know the basic layout. What happens is a bunch of people are brought together. The units involved, special combat teams made up of former members of the 82nd Airborne. And then you get the whole story about this is how we're going to do the mission. This is how we're going to break in and do the thing. We black out the whole town and hit the five casinos at the same time. Steal the MacGuffin, grab the cash, whatever it may be. And then you see it all happen. And then invariably there's sort of twists and turns. Either somebody makes a horrible mistake or what you've been told and what you see turns out not to what be what you actually thought you saw and ha ha ha, and that's how they got away with it. It is brilliant. It's always good fun. However, with Rick and Morty, Dan Harmon has criticized quite heavily the laziness of heist movies and how impressive. But what does it even matter if I'm random or planned? My heists will still rule. Well, if the brain inside of you is actually heistatrons, it matters because it explodes when it hits six levels of contrivance. They're out there to trick the audience. And the audience is, if they're going to a magic show, you know you're going to be tricked. But sometimes it's just lazy writing in a movie. It could be just exciting just seeing the process. The gold standard of heist movies is a black and white French film no, really, from the 1950s, called Rafifi. And famously in it, towards the end, they conduct the heist. Now, please watch it in French. It doesn't matter, because the critical thing is, as we get to the actual heist, the stealing jewellery, it is utterly silent. And this silence and this need to be silent is brilliant. It's so stressful. And then the big joke is, after all this silence, they carry it all out, Somebody walks into the room, once they're done, goes, you're making too much noise, even though it's been completely silent all that time. It's exactly the same trick in the first Mission Impossible movie when you've got Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, dangling in that CIA place where he's got to be completely silent and he can't touch the floor. Oh, just brilliant. I remember seeing that in the cinema as well and how everybody was just sort of like holding their breath almost in that scene. And, and a good heist movie, you feel incredibly tense, be it Rafifi, be it Mission Impossible. Let's talk about the obvious ones. Ocean's 11, followed by Ocean's 12, followed by Ocean's 13, followed about a decade later by Ocean's 8. Because that makes sense in Hollywood. Although, to be fair, it was an all-woman cast in that one. All, all of the Ocean's people were, were women, and there were eight of them rather than sort of like a mixture. Although, largely, it's a guys' club in Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. We always like a good heist movie. One of my kids' favorite films, certainly when they're a little bit younger, was The Italian Job, Another Heist. Or is it a bank robbery? You know, there is some violence involved in that one as well. It isn't just getting away with it. And obviously that film quite literally ends on a cliffhanger. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Now for that, it was it ended on a cliffhanger for censorship reasons. You couldn't show criminals getting away with it. Crime doesn't pay. 
So what they did was leave it almost like you want to see the next five minutes of the movie, but we're not going to show it to you. And it even led pre-COVID, there was even a competition for children to work out how, with this sort of balancing coach dangling over a cliff with, with gold in the back, how could you possibly get out of that situation with the gold without tipping over the edge? Great movie. Sorry, I've given away the ending if you've never seen the Italian job. The first one, the original one, Michael Caine. Don't watch the, the updated one. Please, please. I'm, I'm saving you here. But as I've just said, with all these other films, you see the heist. But you don't in Reservoir Dogs. You don't even know what the plan is in Reservoir Dogs. What happens is the very first scene is they're all sitting in a diner having some very clever conversations. The thing about Reservoir Dogs is it is very, very, very sweary. Huge amounts of swearing, cursing, whatever you want to call it in it. And that was also kind of shocking at the time because we'd seen sweary movies before. But this was, if there was one criticism, it's like he could have cut out half of them and it wouldn't have made any impact. It would still have been a quite a sweary movie. I believe there's around about 240. But the thing is, so they're in the restaurant and then they cut to the credits as they sort of walk in slow motion in, in the outfits to Little Green Bag, and it's just so cool. And at that time, I was at university, and I'll let you into a little secret to any lady listeners out there. Guys are rubbish in suits or dinner jackets until they're into their 20s. Basically, you can see, whenever I interviewed graduates, you can always see that the suit is wearing them rather than they are wearing the suit. You just need a bit of confidence, a little bit of maturity. You just look like a child in adult clothing. Can't comment on, on you know, women's dresses, ball grounds, things like that, evening gowns and so on and so forth. Don't know what the ladies are like in that one. Maybe you're incredibly nervous in those two, but it doesn't really work. But so when I was dressing up for a university ball, having to wear my DJ, and feeling incredibly self-conscious. Of course, I, like everybody else in that time, bought the soundtrack to Reservoir Dogs, and I was listening to that tune, imagining I was one of the Reservoir Dogs, and I felt more comfortable in this suit. So it helped me feel more confident. Thank you, Quentin. So yeah, so it goes from this diner thing to the sort of the, the, the basically all the credits and stuff like that, titles, etc., and then it cuts to the back of a car, and one of the Reservoir Dogs is bleeding out, and clearly it's all gone wrong. So in other words, the heist has happened over the title credits. And throughout the rest of the movie, there are references to what people did in the heist. There is a brief, very brief, again, low budget, brief shot of somebody running away from the heist, holding a bag. But that's all you're ever going to get. If you went to see this movie to see lots of action, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. I thought in his movie Inglorious Bastards about World War II, which was kind of described as like Quentin Tarantino does The Dirty Dozen, I thought it was going to have a lot of action in it. And I was, the first time I saw it, a little bit disappointed because it didn't go in the direction I thought it would. Of course, the moment I watched it a second time knowing what it was, I recognized it for the masterpiece it is. And again, the opening 20 minutes there is just all dialogue between this one French farmer and this evil SS officer played just to perfection by Christoph Waltz, who has to do scenes in fluent German, French, Italian and English. And he does them all incredibly well. Of course, he won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar. He needed to for that. Well done him. Heidrich apparently hates the moniker the good people of Prague have bestowed on him. Actually, why he would hate the name The Hangman's baffling to me. It would appear he's done everything in his power to earn it. But I, on the other hand, 
love my unofficial title precisely because I've earned it. But the thing is, all the tension in that is dialogue. And, and that is what Tarantino is so, so good at doing. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So as I was saying, this rewrote indie cinema. Most young men, particularly at university, like me... <laughs> So we would have a poster from something from Reservoir Dogs. I remember I particularly had a poster of Mr. White with his two guns. At one point he brandishes two guns, doesn't get cooler than that, with a little quote next to him on my wall. I don't know if it was official merchandise or not, but that's not the point. The poster was everywhere. T-shirts with kind of the blood spatter and uh, next to the logo. It was just everywhere. It was just a cool thing that, that was very 1990s. Indeed, when we went to his next movie, Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman with that kind of black bob cut, but also just simple black trousers, white blouse, black jacket over it, it was just what everybody was wearing. And the great thing is it's cheap to, to reproduce. It, you know, it wasn't a glamorous ball gown or anything like that. I'm aware that if you're, I don't know, 20 and the year is 2022, you don't get what the fuss is about Tarantino because those films have already always been sitting there and you might only be just discovering them now and thinking, ah, there's better stuff out there. Probably is, but the point is, he created this sort of hot streak 
of indie crime drama type things. And, you know, from that point onwards, just everybody wanted to be a bit Tarantino-esque. Some of them were more successful than others. You couldn't really capture what he did in a bottle. I always remember the movie Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, starring Andy Garcia. And it was meant to be, oh, this is like the, the new Tarantino. It was pretty boring. And if you've never heard of it, there's a reason for that. The point is that Reservoir Dogs was incredibly exciting, incredibly low budget, grossed tons and tons of money, but and then put Tarantino onto the scene, which has led to all these other really interesting projects. I haven't loved every single one of them. Look, I really love most of them. I actually thought one of his most recent ones, Hateful Eight, I thought that was the first time he was almost parodying himself. Something like Pulp Fiction, when it first came out, that was considered a really long film and kind of complicated because it's sort of not in the right timeline. It's a great film, don't get me wrong. I loved it. Everybody loved it, but it's, oh, it's quite long. But every single bit of that movie is needed so you understand the interactions between the various different characters. By comparison, Hateful Eight, there's an entire scene where they've got to batten down the horses because there's a blizzard coming, and that never pays off. That I've got no idea why they had that. You, if you want to lose five minutes, lose those five minutes. It reminded me, because most of it's actually in this haberdashery shop, that it's a bit like, like Reservoir Dogs. But whereas Tarantino has been riffing off other directors, if you start riffing off yourself, sometimes you're losing you know, basically uh, your sort of creativity. But then he brought it all back in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Thought that was really, really amazing. So you and a bunch of friends like you all live at Spawn Movie Ranch. But yeah, I mean, so I don't love everything. Death Proof also, one of his lesser films. Do really like Jackie Brown, but he deliberately had a smaller movie, a kind of less vivacious or controversial movie after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, because how are you going to top that? So he had a little bit of a pause with something a bit more calm and then he went on to kill bill and, and started doing other crazy stuff as well so yeah we go so i think you can tell i'm a big tarantino fan but where does this bring us to the world of heists i've talked about sort of how this stuff wouldn't ever exist archie bunker is mr blue in reservoir dogs and he is actually an ex-criminal bank robber and so he was there to kind of advise them a little bit you know what sort of things would they talk would criminals talk about and so on and so forth and that's one of the critical things this is the first time you saw criminals not just talking about the job or the cops they were just having chats about things i mean there's the the kind of famous speech between john travolta and samuel jackson in pulp fiction about you know what do you call a quarter pounder in france they don't they have the metric system they don't know what a quarter pounder is you know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? they don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese i mean they get the metric system they wouldn't know what the quarter pounder is what do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. So, yeah, you know, that is something that you would never have in a movie before. That's how important Tarantino was in terms of changing how dialogue was used. But Archie Bunker himself said, this is ridiculous. You wouldn't do a bank job where just before the entire crew is all sitting there not that far away, in a diner, and they're all dressed identically. This would be remembered. Actually, the whole point is you, you kind of blend in. Everyone remember all the guys looking like basically an orchestra ready to get out of there. And of course, there's the debate about tipping as well, whether we should or shouldn't tip. So let's have a look at heists in the real world. So first of all, let's go to an absolute classic one where I'm surprised there haven't been a bunch of movies made about this. The year is 1671. We're in London, 
and an Irish brigand who gives himself the name Captain comes under the name of Captain Blood. Okay, first of all, cool name. He's made it up, but who wouldn't want to be called Captain Blood? And he and a couple of ne'er-do-wells sneak in to the Tower of London and decide to steal the crown jewels. I mean, come on, this is Ocean's Eleven, isn't it? Except it lacks all the dangling and the CCTV, basically. <laughs> they got a mallet and they basically smacked one of the guards over the head to knock him unconscious, basically bludge him in, in, in into unconsciousness. That's not very nice. And then use the same mallet to hammer things like the gold cups and, and crowns flat so they could put them under their coats. This is not very sophisticated. The guard managed to come to, I think it was a beefeater actually, came to and shouted, treason, the jewels are being stolen. And then, they, then he's captured and unbelievably, Captain Blood's taken in front of Charles II, and you would thought, well, he's going to have his head cut off now, isn't he? Uh, but no, he manages to charm Charles, and he becomes a member of the court, and is even given a sort of small amount of money and a small amount of land. Why? Why has that not been turned into a bunch of movies? That, what I've just told you surely, you, surely you're sitting there thinking, I'd watch that. But there we go, that's the Crown Jewel, 1671. Now, we're going to go to America for a while. The, basically, the first kind of heist-type bank robbery there was in 1798. So they'd only recently been independent at the Bank of Pennsylvania, where they managed to get away with $162,821. That's in 1798 money. I mean, that is millions in modern-day money. However, nobody seemed to have sort of, like, broken in. So somebody had had a key, probably an inside job, don't know who actually did that. Let's fast forward into the time of the US Civil War. Uh, let's face it, once we get to bank robberies in the Wild West, you all know what those are like. And those did genuinely happy, as did holding up trains which had cash in them and so on and so forth. So, you know, we're now into the, let's call it the golden age of heisting or robberies. In 1863, now this is interesting, in Malden, Massachusetts, the robber came in armed and actually shot a 17-year-old bookkeeper and managed to leave with $5,000. Again, in modern money, probably a million dollars, the equivalent of. It was a lot of cash at the time. But because somebody had died, they actually put out one of those wanted posters, and it was $6,000 to try and get him. They sadly didn't. But that's an example. The reason why we like heist movies is because the only people who are losing are the bank or the business corporation, you know, or the casino. Because a house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes, the house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. And none of those are sort of lovable. But as, you know, if, if what happened in Ocean's Eleven is their plan is to walk into the casino and machine gun all the clientele to, to death and then take the cash, we wouldn't have considered it such a romp, would we? Then, <laughs> I love this one. So we've done Britain, we've done two in America. Let's jump forward to 1907 in Tiflis in the Russian Empire, where there was a bank robbery. But this was a big one because by the time the bank robbery had finished, there were 40 dead and 50 injured. That's a small battle that went on there at the Tiflis Bank. And they stole the, in terms of rubles, the modern equivalent of $4 million worth. So it was a big haul for the time. But what's interesting about it, why do I mention this one of all the bank robberies that have ever happened? Because this was organized. We, we're not quite sure if they were on the scene firing guns, but it was certainly organized by Lenin and Stalin. 
It is worth remembering that to fund their various communist and socialist activities, they had a habit of robbing banks. Stalin was particularly well known for that in the very early 1900s. But of course, it was against the corrupt imperialist system, so that was okay. Try telling that to the 40 dead people. But I'm going to move forwards now. We've been you know, talking about the Wild West. We've been talking about Restoration England. So now let's go to 2015, to a situation where I was just down the road to where this happened, but they were clever about it. This is the Hatton Garden heist of 2015. And what's interesting about that one is they stole a bunch of, well, the contents of a number of safe deposit boxes, which again you see in all the movies. They do really exist. Right now, you could go to a specialist bank. You probably could just couldn't go to your local retail bank, but you'd have to go to a specialist bank and there you basically rent a tiny little box. And what happens is you are given a key to the box and they will let you, you have to obviously give them ID and blah, blah, blah. But they, you then can go into this room and you have your safety deposit box open and then the person leaves. So in other words, you can put anything you want into that box and they'll keep it safe, but they won't know what's in it. And so this was clearly a bit of an inside job to, to know. Uh, well, I mean, it's a fair guess that there's going to be some cool stuff there, but who knows exactly what was in there. So chances are a little bit of an inside job. But critically, it wasn't so much of an inside job that they did it over a bank holiday weekend and they had to basically do the kind of Ocean's Eleven type thing. They literally drilled through the reinforced site. They basically got into the basement of the adjacent building, drilled through the reinforced wall into the safety deposit safe, and then took out at the equivalent of value of 14 million. But here's the interesting thing. No images. Got away scot-free. It wasn't more than 24 hours. It was, well, it was more than 24 hours later that they discovered what had actually happened. So the perfect crime, right? No. Every single one of the people involved in that got arrested. And all but one of them, I think one of them for technical reasons or was only very much at the periphery, every single one of them is currently serving jail time. So how? Why? And this is the interesting thing. We're always basically from here on in going to have to have heist movies that are set in the past or stealing a very, very specific thing for a very bespoke reason, not just cash. And if you start thinking about things like Swordfish, that was a movie that came out in 2001, starring John Travolta and also Hugh Jackman. In that one, there's critically a computer hacker. Jackman's the hacker. It's widely considered within the IT community as one of the worst depictions of hacking ever. But my wife doesn't care because he gets to, at one point, be shirtless, wearing only a red towel. So that kept her happy. But the thing is this. I, for a time, used to work on a product to do with IT security. And what they've shown is over the last 15 years, bank robberies in the Western world have dropped. Care to guess by how much? The answer is over 90% because of DNA evidence, CCTV footage, drone technology. Basically trying to get away from the police and the authorities, it's really, really hard. Because even if you jump into a car and start driving away and you, I've got away before the, you know, the police arrive on the scene, all this CCTV is taking footage of you. We can start guessing which direction. Fine, we're going to switch cars and so on and so forth. Doesn't matter. You've already left everything they need basically there at the crime scene because no matter how clever you are, 
there's going to be things like hair follicles, dandruff, sweat, things like that, which is going to have your DNA. And unless you guys are first time criminals, they will have your DNA on file. And if you are first time criminals, you better be good at this. At the end of this, you better not know you're involved, not know your names or think you're dead because he'll kill you. And then I'll go to work on you. That's why we had to be very careful. Because you are going to be put in prison for a very, very long time if you get it wrong. There's a, a movie called Dead Presidents, which is based on a real bank robbery about a bunch of ex-US servicemen just after the Vietnam War. These are sort of like veterans that feel they haven't been treated properly, and they carry out a bank raid using their military expertise and know-how. And they kind of get away with it, but eventually get caught. And and they're very much criticized by the, the, the court saying, you know, however badly mistreated you mean, you put people in harm's way, which is the opposite of what you were trained to do. You're here to protect America. And also, robbing banks is wrong. I don't care how angry you are with the government. That doesn't give you a right to rob banks. It's a really interesting, really powerful movie. You might want to check that one out. Another great heist movie is Inside Man, directed by Spike Lee. That's probably one of his most commercial films. There's just loads of them, and they're almost always a really good watch. I can't think of any really bad heist movies, but I do take Dan Harmon's point that if you start sitting there and watch maybe three or four or five heist movies in a row, you're going to start thinking, there's definitely a structure to this, and I'm beginning to spot it. And you probably can only really enjoy it once, because then you know whether they are or aren't going to get away with it. So, like Lucky Logan, that's another heist movie. You might not have heard of that one. Steven Soderbergh directed that one. It's, I think that's only about five, six years old. So there's, just, there's always a heist movie out at some point. There are some absolute classics. They go back generations in terms of people and also in terms of film technology. And yet Reservoir Dogs stands head and shoulders amongst all of them because it's the only one brave enough to say, I'm going to make this so exciting that you don't even want to see the heist. And that's another example of Tarantino's genius. So there we go. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, another episode coming out soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.